that you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great Hey there, Paisani Bonifeste. Welcome back to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I'm John Viola. We are recording today, the day after Thanksgiving 2021, a beautiful time of family and food and hopefully peace and happiness for all of you out there. But this episode will air a little bit closer to Natale, to Christmas. So a perfect time for us to talk about the joy of gathering in the home and being together. And we have four-fifths of the Italian-American podcast team with us, so it really does feel like a bit of a homecoming. So please join me in welcoming my dear friends, the First Lady of the Italian-American podcast, Ms. Dolores Alfieri Taranto, our Queen of the Italian Kitchen, Ms. Rosella Rago, and the notorious P.O.B., the Italian-American Wikipedia himself, Mr. Patrick O'Boyle. Guys, really wonderful to be together, all of us, and uh, I hope everybody had a very peaceful Thanksgiving holiday. Thanks, John. Good to be here. I just ate. It, it, it comes to that great. I'm sorry. I was just going to say that I ate leftovers already. That's all. Yeah, me too. Right, just go right into food. <laughs> you really did. You had leftovers already. I did twice. It's only me- one o'clock. <laughs> one o'clock. You got to eat. No, I, I, I had leftovers at 12 o'clock because I like the pranza system. Because if you eat heavy at 12, you're digested by seven, eight o'clock. No. I don't want that heavy stomach. That's the problem with the heavy stomach at eight, nine o'clock at night and you go to bed and it's not good. You know what I did? Nicole and I got pastries from a a bakery in Long Island. A friend brought them for us and we said, oh, we're going to bring them to her uncle's house and then packing up the baby. And, you know, I'm not used to traveling with the baby. This was kind of our first adventure out of the house. We had so much stuff we have to bring. I forgot the pastry. So last night we got back and we cracked into the pastries ourselves. So that was our kind (laughs) of midnight snack of having Italian pastries at uh, 11 o'clock at night. But yeah, I'm, I'm stuffed. I can't eat today. Yeah, but you're not a big eater to begin with. Yeah, you're not an eater. Uh, I come in and out. Yeah, but I could eat you. (laughs) (laughs) I could, I I could eat you. I could finish you off in like 15 minutes. A little bit of Tabasco sauce. My money's on Pat in this scenario. (laughs) I'm probably very gristly. I've seen John eat, though. Yeah. For sure. I can put, I could throw it down. No, no, John, you're new to your, I'll just rip it apart. <laughs> I'll just dig in. I'm more of a caveman when it comes to that. You're more, you know, you're the kind of guy that'll eat pizza with a knife and fork under the occasion. You know, when the, when, when I saw you really pig out once, because you know, you're never really kafani when you eat. You don't like, no. But one time I saw you pig out. I just make, I make love to food. That's the difference. <laughs> you, you appreciate <laughs> it. You make out with food. I have passionate love with food. I remember one time we flew to Rome and we had to get a fitting for the Constantinian uniforms and, and we'd all starved ourselves for like a month going into it. And oh, then we, was <laughs> we went to eat afterwards. We had a huge meal in Rome right after the fitting. And then we went for pastries. You remember that? Yeah, Monsignor, our dear friend, may he rest in peace, Monsignor Ambrosio came with us yeah and he he was on all kinds of fight anxiety medication <laughs> yes and it knocked him out and his he fell into the fettuccine that's god's honest truth he did. his head collapsed <laughs> and his nose was in a mountain are you kidding it was like a, no, no it's it like a cartoon <laughs> and he was like he was like <laughs> and he's snoring and we don't know what to do. We're afraid the tomato sauce is going to go in his nose and like choke him. We don't know what to do. But he was totally whacked out. He was like catatonic from the fight. Like, Monsignor! Mon- shaking him, shaking the table. Oh 
Uh, that's a good. So we kind of just left. That was we were fasting. That's not an episode. No, that's a series. Yes, it is. Getting the uniforms. Getting those uniforms, which were supposed to be for my wedding, ended up not being for my wedding. But thanks, Nicole. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, in her defense. It's like, uh, what are those things on the the shoulders called? Epaulets. Epaulets. Yeah, I mean, you can only, like, pull that off when you're, like, a Disney prince, like a cartoon, I feel. You're all waiting for your prince to come. John showed up with the outfit. All he needed was the slipper. Yeah, I know, but it's, it's a wedding. Come on. It's not an animated feature, Pat. It's a real-life party. You all watch, please, bro. You watch these cartoons. There's a song, Someday My Prince Will Come. John had the prince uniform. Now, there's people right now who totally don't understand this. You know, not everyone can carry a sword. So, like, the sword, it's in the way. It's a long story. John had the privilege of a military uniform with epaulets and a sword. And his wife put the kibosh on it for the wedding. That's true. But he looked like Prince Charming. We could have put you in a coach, John, with Someday My Prince Will Come. I may have looked more like Captain Crunch than Prince Charming. That's probably. Yeah. No, see, no, I look like Ferdinand. Ferdinand. Second, right. <laughs> you look like a prince. I mean, God I bless know. you, John. You, 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 have, you have to carry the physique. Like, I'm not going to say that John wouldn't have made a good prince, like a Disney. Pr- it's just like that's a big commitment for your wedding photos that last yes. forever. Dolores, yes, it is. Come on, help me here. Like, you can't. Yeah, I mean, I'm taking Nicole's side no matter what. So. <laughs> I'm sure they all are. <laughs> Whatever the question is, I take Nicole's side. <laughs> Good move. People out there in podcast land, these are political statements by the ladies. These are political <laughs> statements. No one wants their wedding photos to look like a Civil War reenactment, you know. If you educate people and tell them what the uniform is, then they'll know. No, I'm sorry. It wouldn't have been a Civil War reenactment. It would have been like the leopard reenactment, like the leopard, the wedding photo. Yes. Thank you. That's what we were going for. That was the yes. theme. That was the theme. Nobody wants that. Wait, nobody and wants no, that. No they have. Wants it. What's that stupid thing? Harry Potter. Yeah, they have Harry Potter weddings. Yeah, Um, they have a Harry Potter wedding and they dress up like Harry Potter. Yet you will not have a Gato Pardo wedding. No, I can't. Crazy. What was I never saw Harry? There's probably someone out there right now who's scandalized. I said stupid Harry Potter. I would I swear to God, I have no idea. I'm too old. I mean, I, I missed the boat on they were books, right? And there was they were movie. books and then movies, and, now and the, uh, well, the only thing I know that it really did a lot for New Zealand's tourism. Am I correct? No, that's that's Lord of the Rings. Okay, close enough. <laughs> that's right. But Pat, you have you the, can see uh, how tuned in I am. Fantasy or like any no, high fan. I have, no. I have no I am anti-fantasy. You are anti-fantasy. I, I like, am I like fantasy enough. Miserable reality. <laughs> Tactile misery. Can I tell you a story? Yeah. I got to be careful the way I say this because the holidays are coming. Do you know at three years of age? Um, now, we all know for the children out there that Santa Claus is alive and well. But a certain someone on this podcast might have made accusations that there was no Santa Claus at three years old. Oh, my gosh. Are you serious? Yeah, so someone's cousin might have been dressed up like Santa Claus to come and convince this little child that there was a Santa Claus. So they bring Santa Claus in and they tell this little child that might be yours truly (laughs) that there is a Santa Claus and I'm Santa Claus. I'm like, no, because I know who you are because I recognize your watch. (laughs) (laughs) So by four, they gave up. 
I, I never, <laughs> isn't that miserable? That's a really miserable story, but that's me. <laughs> but that's me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you true stories. These are true stories. I can only imagine what you were like at three years old. Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> but I very much believe in God. I just don't believe in. Don't believe in Santa Claus. I think that's all right. Well, we all know the kids out there. I have now learned as an adult that Santa Claus does live. Amen. And he's happy for all you children out there up in the North Pole because I don't want your mothers writing me nasty letters that I destroyed your life. Now, I want to write no. the, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. We're going to write our version called C. Pasquale. There is a Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> so Remember, if Santa Claus awesome. exists, he speaks bodies. <laughs> That's absolutely right. He's, he's, he's better than body. Oh, Ro, can you do a Santa Claus storybook in bodies? Sandy girl. <laughs> That's a body Santa Claus. Why don't we come out with a children's series called We Have a Santa Claus and Bodies? Oh, Santa Claus speaks bodies. What do you think he yes. says instead of ho, ho, ho? Wait, wait, wait. Or is that too Neapolitan? No, what does he say, Ro? Wait, wait, wait. What, what, what is? He definitely says, like, chaya, chaya, chaya. Oh, oh, we need a cartoon. I've always John, said we John, can you, can you make a Bade Santa Claus t-shirt? Oh, sure. With chayu, chayu, chayu. <laughs> if Ro gets me the spelling, sure. I'd be happy to. Yeah, and he's got he's to hold an octopus in one hand and a, and a thing of broccoli <laughs> rod in the other. Or like his bag has just overflowing broccoli rod. You know, out of you it. know how Bobby Vinton had that song, Santa Claus Must Be Polish? No, I never heard that. You never heard Santa Claus Must Be Polish? No, and I love novelty Christmas songs. Why don't you dub it into Santa Claus Must Be Bares? I'm in. I'm looking at it. And Bob, wasn't Bobby Vinton Italian anyway? No, Bobby Vinton was Polish. Oh, I thought he yeah, was. He's oh, like, Bobby nah. Rydell was Italian. Was he really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he was. That's right. How many people are still listening to us? Ten people? Five people? <laughs> three people? But you know what? It's perfect that we're talking about this stuff, though, because one of the reasons I wanted us to get together, obviously, was to just have a little holiday time as a family. It's so nice for all of us to be on the phone together, but also because there are Italian-American versions of this stuff, right? And, like, you talk about the Italian version of Santa and these songs and things, and I know our colleague and dear friend Kumada Dolores has got uh, that's right that's right may I interject for those out there in podcast land John baptized her son sure her did. only son her only child makes you Kumbara in Excelsis <laughs> that's absolutely right that's a great title the legit Kumba <laughs> that's right you are, you are, yes yes that John that should be your your uh Instagram put it on the business card I keep meaning to film for you, John. I will get it on film. Angelo running around going, Kumba, Kumba. I got like to see that. You. Yeah, he goes through everybody's names now, and you're one of them. I just got a little Italian-themed Christmas gift for him. Came in the mail yesterday before we left, or two days ago before Aww. we left. So, yeah, I got to send that. And uh, I bought you the clothes for the summer that may not fit him anymore, but I got it. I bought Dolores. I bought Angelo. I was in a, a thrift store in Brooklyn, like a really nice kids. What do you, not thrift store. What do you call um Consignment shop. You consignment. Yeah, retail, right? They do like all nice kid stuff. And uh, there's this little Lord Fauntleroy outfit with the big collar and the pants. And it's like old material. I'm looking at it's from Italy from the 80s. It's probably never been worn, maybe once. And I brought it home. I'm like, I have to get this for Angelo. And boy, I showed it to Drew. Drew's like, really? You got to dress my kid. Like, he looks like Donald Duck. But I have to send it. Even if you just get a picture and he never wears it again because oh, it's so Italian. It looks like he's That's 18th Avenue at its peak. Yes, yeah. exactly. I'll come up with something. It's got to be from when yeah. we were kids, actually. I I'm quite convinced. If not, maybe a little later, but it is very Italian. One question. 
Does it come with the socks with the holes in them that leave the holes on your legs when you take the socks off? No, no socks. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uh, I have PTSD from those socks. (laughs) (laughs) Kids don't dress like this stuff anymore, though. No, well. For good reason. Yeah, yeah. for good reason. Because <laughs> then you end up like us. <laughs> That's true, for good reason. But you know what? This is perfect for what we came to talk about because there's things that we do do and still do. And you say the right words, Ro, for good reason. Some of the things we keep alive seem archaic. But my question becomes, what are the reasons? And the reason I wanted to do this call was because Dolores just kicked off her second season of Bella Figura, her individual podcast, which examines – with an Italian-American ancestral, let's say, tint, uh, all different facets of lifestyle. And so this second season is all about, I guess you'd say, the home, Dolores, home life. Why don't you explain to everybody what it is? Because it really inspired me for today's episode. Yeah, so the overview for the theme for the season two of um, Bella Figura, the tradition of living beautifully, is home. And I wanted to explore just like various aspects of home. So not just the structure itself, but what happens inside of it, spiritually, mentally, energetically, if I may. Mentally, mentally, mentally. (laughs) (laughs) Get it. Because the Italian home at the end of the day is mentally. I see what you're saying. (laughs) It's like a cage for the Italian soul. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. That's what I wanted to kind of get us on because you know, Dolores has got all these interesting guests coming on from all different ethnic backgrounds, right? Yeah. And you know, Dolores, I've said to everyone on this call, because you're my closest friends, and I probably said to the audience, my favorite book in the history of the world is Bill Bryson's At Home, where he, you know, he's a travel writer from, he's American, but he's a travel writer who's lived in the UK for like 50 years. And most of his great works are all over the world and different places he goes. And one time, at some point, he just decided I don't want to leave to write my book. I'm going to write about my house and the history of domesticity. And, you know, each room, he takes a different sort of tangent, which I love and I highly recommend it. It is my favorite book. But we talk about it a lot, or I talk about it a lot. And I started to think when Dolores and I were talking about her then upcoming second season, it's available now on Bella Figura podcast. You can go listen to it and highly recommend it. Probably many of you who are our listeners are also listeners to Dolores' show. But if you're not, you got to get over and listen. But we started talking in our private conversations about this idea of the home and the energy around it and the reasons we do things. And it, it sort of, it made me think, you know, there's certifications, right? Like we, we interviewed Paul Shala from Delos. They give a wellness certification for building space. How, how is the environmental health? You can get a LEED certification to prove your building is a green building. It's environmentally impactful in a positive way. And I thought to myself, What about a red, white, and green certification? What about an Italian-American certified home? What are the hallmarks of an Italian-American home that make it kind of different? And then kind of why do many of us do versions of these things? So I don't know. I wanted to sort of challenge all of us. And Dolores, maybe you can explain kind of what you guys are doing on Bella Figura and talking about the home and and where there's sort of some overlap and some of the things that you see as a hallmark for the Italian-American home and – you know, I think there's a lot of different bellwethers, if you will. Well, I think one thing that has really come together for me in doing Bella Figura is that so many of the ways that we were raised with or ways that we would consider, quote, Italian-American are actually just really, if you strip away a couple things, just old world. They're 
old fashioned, they're ancestral, and pretty much every guest on season two, whether or not they're Italian, and many of them are not, there are, I do have a couple Italian Americans on the show this season. They are really just realigning their lives with the values that we talk about so much on this show. So really it's just expands what we talk about all the time on the Italian American podcast into a greater sphere. So it's beyond just our culture, embracing other cultures, but through this same lens of these values, traditions, these ways of taking care of your home, of decorating your home, of eating, that is a big one. I mean, I could have also easily called this season food. <laughs> of course. Because such a big part of the home is the food you eat. And so many of my guests are actually small farmers or homesteaders, and they're raising their own food. They're raising their own meat. They're preserving everything that they feed their families throughout the winter. And to me, it really aligns with so much of what we talk about on this show, because they're really just ancestral traditions. It's just doing what our grandparents and great grandparents did. But the question becomes why in a world like today, like you talk about like feeding yourself, right? And if we were to set out a kind of hit list of Italian American certification for your home, to me, the home garden is a big part of that. And, you know, it's 2021 by the good fortune of living in a time like this, really realistically at any time of year, you can go to pretty much any supermarket and find most of the produce that you'd want to have. I mean, obviously like certain things like Garduna, right? I love Garduna. You, you rarely find that. You got to go to an Italian specialty grocer or grow it yourself or, you know, certain things you're not going to get. But on average, like if you want figs, you can get figs anywhere in this country, any time of year, even if they're out of season, they're shipped in from somewhere. They may not be the best, but they are passable figs. But the fig tree is a point of pride for so many families. And something we talk about constantly, like, you know, so many people I know when they have a good, strong fig tree will take a cutting out, put it in dirt, let it root itself and give it away as a gift. It's, it's a sign of, I think, great love and friendship to share a fig tree. You know, why, why is a garden and the ability to grow your own stuff when you don't really need to such a big part of who we are? Does that resonate? Is that kind of the stuff you guys are talking about? Yeah, it's exactly what we're talking about this season. So we have gardens so often as Italian Americans because it makes for better food. The ingredients are fresh and the best part of Italian cooking is simple, fresh ingredients. Well, the best part of any cooking is simple, fresh ingredients. And in terms of getting figs in winter or getting blueberries in winter, you know, you're not supposed to eat those things in winter. That's a very recent development and we don't really have time to get into it, but it causes a host of issues in our world, in our environment, in our bodies. Uh, you can also bring in what it does to pe the people who pick those blueberries and pick those figs, who ship them, etc. So really, if you talk about ancestral traditions, this is all about bringing it back to your home, to local, to being as self-sufficient as is possible in this modern world, to taking care of your own family, to eating the best food, the most fresh food that you can get your hands on. And that is extremely Italian-American. I, I mean, it makes so much sense to me. So the really cool thing this season has been talking to all these guests who live in different parts of the country. And I even have some guests who are overseas and who are not Italian-American, who are not raised the way 
the same way I was raised, yet we have so much in common in the way we see growing and eating food. You know, it's funny, another one of the, as I was preparing for this conversation, I was writing out my kind of list in my head. And another one of the sort of tokens that I thought of first was uh, something that's very important to my mom and my grandmother. My grandmother would call it the gandine, the, the cantina, this sort of, um, I don't know, I don't want to call it a root cellar because it's not its sole role, but like a place for the preserved foods that you've prepared for the year, the jarred tomatoes, the pickled vegetables, the jardineras, the cheeses, and the, you know, uh, hanging sausages and stuff. Yeah. I, I feel like you talk about the idea of eating seasonally. And again, in 2021, even when we polled people a couple of years ago, when we did our big Italian American community poll. I was shocked at how many people still preserve foods, jar tomatoes in the fall, make their own wine, pickle vegetables, make sausages. I mean, Pat and I spent some time learning how to make uh, hanging sausage with our friend Ralph Vitale, who's a master butcher. I, I think it's interesting that, again, in a time when it might seem a little archaic, more and more people are reclaiming these traditions. I, I think maybe it's part of it is, the again, the quality of ingredient. Part of it's also the ceremony that goes with doing this and eating seasonally and, and learning how to be self-sufficient. You know, It is, yeah. We talk about when we were going into COVID lockdown, a lot of people in the Italian-American community had a lot of food stored away mm -hmm. that they had jarred and preserved themselves. Is that a big part of kind of this trend? Well, I'll say one of my guests is Shay Elliott. Shay Elliott is a very big name in this kind of burgeoning homestead movement. She's terrific. Definitely check her out. I mean, come over, listen to her episode, and then follow her on Instagram, follow her on YouTube. And I asked Shay basically the question you just asked in the sense of why why I go because it's a lot of work anybody listening right who's ever jarred tomatoes or made wine as much joy as we tend to bring to those tasks because we know they're laborious right so we make the best set of it you do it with family you do it with friends but it's a lot of work yeah. and in a in a world and a society that tells you that convenience is the most important thing why would you put that much work into it so past the eating well, past the taste, past the freshness, Shay made a really great point. And she said, because there are some things that feed our soul. Yeah. And going to the supermarket and picking your tomatoes off a shelf does not feed your soul. Mm. But growing your tomato, going out there, taking care of it, picking it, preserving it, pulling it out in the dark depths of January to make a beautiful, delicious sauce for your family. That feeds your soul. Wow. Mm -hmm. I, I find that very relatable. Yeah. You know, going in, like if you go into the cupboard and you see you have options between a can of tomatoes that may be very good, maybe, you know, San Marzano imported from Italy or whatever, or a jar that your family jarred or a family you know jarred. There is something very fulfilling about reaching for the one that you can understand the roots of. Absolutely. I mean, Pat, you've been pushing, I, mean, I know we talked about it on some episodes, a Facebook group for home winemakers or people interested in it. You've got hundreds of people. It exploded. Yeah. I mean, the reason I started it was a lot of people want to make wine today the way their great grandfathers did. It's a million times easier today and it's much more approachable, but because people stopped making it in the sixties or the fifties or whenever, because a jug of wine from California was cheaper and easier. There's a learning curve for those who want to do it again. So I knew that there are some people who have become experts in wine production 
because they never stopped the family tradition of winemaking and they've, they've educated themselves on it. So I said, what you need is a Facebook group where people who have no clue what they're doing can be bring, can ask people who have made it into an actual science. How do I do this? How do I do that? And that's how you build a community. It went from zero to 535 members, like in a matter of weeks exploded. Yeah. But then again, it's, that's because we, we are creating digital piazzas. Mm. Yeah. And that's another telltale sign of, of kind of our 21st century approach to a lot of this stuff, right? Because in a time when we lived in neighborhoods and you could get together and help one another, you know, people come over, do this stuff together, exchange the byproducts of it, you know, uh, sort of do it collectively, whole families living in one house and every branch of the family would jar tomatoes together and, and separate it out. And, you know, maybe you don't do that the same way now, but to do these things digitally, virtually, to be together, to exchange information and best practices, it gives all this a whole new lease on life, really, because you, you can find people pretty simply who are going to give you the tips and teach you that. Like I, I've always wanted to make dandelion wine. That was something that my family used to do 70, 80 years ago. They had a little country shack up in Peekskill, New York, when that was kind of country back then. And they would collect dandelions and make dandelion wine. And that's something that's like, weighed on me that I really want to try this because I want to reconnect with not only the process of something they did and the foraging and things like that, but also the tastes because I've never tasted this. I have no idea what, what to expect. And I, I, you know, I look at my father-in-law and his friends, they live in the Bronx, they go out, they go to the parks, they go to Westchester and they forage for mushrooms. He picked 200 pounds of foraged mushrooms this year, this fall so far. I mean, Dolores, I remember a couple of years ago, you bringing stuff that your mom had went out and foraged for. Oh, yeah, this just like a month or so ago, I posted all these pictures on my Instagram. People were going crazy because we had our very, very close family friends bringing us so many mushrooms for like a week and a half. All my mother did was sit on the back porch and clean and then preserve the mushrooms. How does she do it? She boils them in water, then in vinegar, and then packs them in um, oil. Mm, nothing like that. Yeah. I was promised several jars of said mushrooms. I know. I have to get them to you. <laughs> there were, I know. There, I did. Don't hold your breath there with the duck. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Right there with the duck. Next As my meal. grandmother would say, I sorted it. That's, <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Case in point, you know, my my followers on Instagram, the people who are interested in so many of these topics, they loved th those posts because there's something missing today. You, people feel it. And I think why something like Pat's wine group explodes is yes, because it's a digital piazza, but also because it gives you permission to care about something that the larger society tells you you shouldn't really care about. It yeah. gives you the right. It gives you this permission. It's a validation of the collective. It's a validation. Exactly. That you're a, you're not alone. B other people see the worth in this. Yeah. Because the greater society tells you like, that's crazy to put that time and that energy and that money, just go to the store and buy a bottle. 
And if you're not conscious of it, if you're not surrounded by other people or you don't listen to podcasts like this one and like mine, Bella Figura, and you don't maybe, you know, join these groups, you might think that that feeling is stupid, irrelevant, yeah. a waste of time. But if you're, you know, surround yourself with like-minded people who share these ideas, you see that actually you're the one who's on the right path. You know, yeah. you're, you're onto something that this world really needs right now. You know, it's so funny. You talk about things that people think are weird. And you were saying your mom spent a week on the porch cleaning mushrooms, right? And like another, another sort of bellwether for me leads me to a couple of things that are on my list of like the Italian-American certification, right? The divide between indoor and outdoor space. Like she went to mm -hmm. clean the mushrooms outside. Mm -hmm. And I think of like, you know, you can see a million sort of comedic videos in the Italian-American blogger sphere of the no-no or the nonna cleaning the driveway, right? Scrubbing their driveway clean or cleaning their stoop and brushing outside. And you see it in Italy constantly. That divide between sort of indoor, outdoor space and really speaks to a couple of these different bellwethers for me, which is the divide between the formal space that you present to the world that your figura is judged on and the informal space. So like I think of two real sort of stock pieces for that uh, play in my head are the formal living room that's totally unusable and the informal basement kitchen, right? Because you've got a kitchen, a main kitchen, but many families still have a basement kitchen where like the dirty work is done, where they really cook and where they, you know, choose to eat. Even if there's a formal dining room and living room upstairs that may be preserved in plastic and never really used. I, I love that idea. That, that to me is a really big uh, theme in my Italian identity, because when you go to Italy, I always feel like Italian cities can be a little bit dingy sometimes, you know, graffiti and, and garbage, but inside the home, you always feel like you could eat off the floors. You know what I mean? And then that pride of like what you present to the world. And, you know, obviously Pat always jokes, he's got the last plastic guy in the New Jersey, New York area that covers couches in custom plastic. But there's something very Italian to me about this idea of like a room where, where the furniture may be 50 years old, but it looks like it just came off the factory floor and it's preserved there, not through some pretension, but through a lot of pride. I, I really love that. I think that that even if you don't have a room with couches covered in plastic, I think that resonates. Is that? Well, you should. And we know the guy who can make it happen for you. <laughs> but do you agree with me, though, that, that's, that there's something very prideful? Yeah, I, 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 I think that in the seriousness of this conversation, that the one thing that's very hard, I think, for Americans to understand, if you don't have family who are immediately off the boat from Europe, especially from the kids today, and Europe is no different than, than now, but... Everyone who came here, 99% of them who came here, came from rural agrarian communities. And everything I think that we do is based on the fact that we're farmers. Yeah. Right? So, you know, I've said this on a million episodes before, and I'll say it again now. So I'm a farmer. I don't have any cash. But if you come to my house, you can eat all the cheese you want. Yeah. And you can eat all the salami you want, all the sausage, because I don't have wealth and coins and, and bank accounts. But I have food and you can eat all my pickled mushrooms, all my pickled eggplant. And I think that one part is that in Europe, you had the baronial class, right? The senioria class, the nobility, the aristocracy who owned the land. And then you had tenant farmers. And the nobility lived in these, um, at least half the time, you know, a lot of these, the aristocracy, the landowners, they'd spend, let's say, the summer. Their country house would be the palace in the town where they owned lands that they rented. Um, and they would collect the food and they would, that would be their payment. 
and they would spend the winter months in cities like Naples or Bari in the big city where they had their, their uh, where we get the word town home from, right? The, the city residence. And that baronial mansion or aristocratic palace in these little agrarian towns was the fanciest house in town. And everybody kind of configured their living to these people to be able to show that they were prosperous or their degree of prosperity. So, you know, my fingernails might be, you know, covered in, in dirt because I'm working the land all day and I'm, I'm my, my skin, I'm, I'm 20 years old and I really am because I'm out in the sun all day long working the farm. But when I cleaned up, I did the best I could to put on, I don't want to say put on airs because I don't, I don't know, that has such a bad connotation in English. But no, but present the figura. Yeah, present the figura because yes, I am a farmer, but yes, I am respectable. And I think that's such a hard, it's so removed from America. I think it's a very hard concept for Americans to digest that class system, because think of coming from small town America, right? Like a town of maybe 15,000 people and under, and you have two or three prominent families. That was the social conditions of the South of Italy. So you had a lot, a lot of poor people. You had a handful of middle-class people. And then you had the super rich guy who owned all the land. And um, he was the one you called Donna, Donna, and he was the one who was handicapped and bowed and everything else. And um, I think that that social pecking order is the genesis of our couches with plastic on. Hmm. It was kind of a trickle down of aristocracy. And I think that it was in a, in a country that's so possessed by the idea of how they're publicly perceived. Um, this idea of the farmer with the very fancy front parlor when he could afford it after the boom of the 50s. I think that's the genesis of so much of this. Which makes it really interesting because, you know, you say like the obsession of how you're perceived, right? That's one interpretation of figura, right? So bella figura being Dolores' show. But bella figura, it is how you're perceived. It's what you present to the, the world outside. Uh, you know, it's, it's the guy who may not have two pennies rubbed together, but his suit is finally pressed when he goes out. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here recording in my parents' house and the, the computer screen in front of me has all family photos that are in a, a slideshow for a screensaver. And I'm looking at my ancestors when they came over and, you know, these are poor farmers and nobody in the merchant class, but they're all dressed in their best clothes. And, you know, I think of the story of my great grandfather, my grandmother always told he got a job as a sanitation man, a garbage man. And that was a huge opportunity back when he came to America because it, it had a pension and it had, it was a city job. And he used to go every morning dressed in a suit and tie and a bowler hat to then go to the, transpo station change into his sanitation jumpsuit go on the garbage trucks or wagons at that point and then trucks and then come back change and come home again all dressed up as if he was going off to be the ceo of a company because figura is not just to me what you present but also an internal quality it's like a, a it's a form of respect yeah it's a it's a yeah it's a form of respect it's a form of uh, I guess, you know, we're talking about nobility. It, it, it's, it's the nobility of your own circumstances, right? It, it's a, right. a, a stasis uh, of being kind of leveled in your whole life. Uh, that, that to me is figura. It's internal as much as it is external. Well, like that kind of reminds me of people like my great aunt and uncle, Dominic and Rosa. I mean, they're in their early 90s now. Healthiest people I've ever met. My uncle grows, you know, uh, I plant in the backyard and zucchini and zucchini flowers. My aunt Rosa, you, you could eat off of her floor. These people are millionaires. Like the, the, the amount of real estate that they own. And my uncle was a waiter. You know, uh, these are people with, with 
very who stops their their education quite early. My aunt never worked uh, except when she was quite young. When she worked with Nana in a factory for a few years uh, when she first came to America. But uh, like a man who worked as a waiter for seventy years almost. Wow. You know, amass this sort of wealth. If you if you go to their house, they always say their house is like a like a time capsule. You know, there's no air conditioning. Everything's covered in plastic. Their telephone has a cord. Like it's 1975 in this house. And my uncle had a Crown Victoria, Ford Crown Victoria, up until only a few years ago. Looked brand new. Drove it every single day, but it looked brand new. And you, you know, when you look at them, they live in this in this uh, fully attached house on both sides in Bensonhurst. But when it came time for the important things in life, when it came time for, you know, my godmother Paula to get married, it was the big wedding. It was the, the engagement party at Gargiulo's. It was the nicest dresses. It was the wedding at Russo's on the Bay, a Carolina Herrera gown. It was everything because that's what they saved their money for. When it was time, there's, there's a thing in Molay, in Molay's, I won't say it in Molay's. Say it in Molay's. Hold on, let me see if I get it. When it's time to make a good appearance, you make a good appearance. It's time to do it right, you do it right. Yeah, yeah when you do it right. Yeah, but it was it was those few occasions that they reserved, you know, that their their uh their stockpile for. It's the same concept as the cantina. So it's like exactly. in the in la cantina. You know, you, you save the good homemade wine for certain people. You save the good towels for certain companies. You save yeah. the good china for certain. We have that. You know, we're, we're Southern, we're poor, we're uneducated, but we have that. I think another thing is Roe brings up a great point because people came from a feudal society where your money came from land and renting land to farmers. And so they came to America and they bought apartment buildings. That's why, that's why as a society, that's why as a, a tribe, Italian-Americans did so well because so many times, a waiter, whatever, whatever bus driver, waiter, plumber, whatever they did, even though they had blue-collar jobs, they put their money in property. And those properties amassed. And that, that's such in the DNA of the South. I mean, there's just no question about it. Yeah, and when you, when you live in a place where you don't have access to land, right, and you can't buy the place you live. I mean, don't, don't forget, it's only 1815, I think, 1812, 1815, that feudalism is, is done away with in the South. You know, that, that's not too much earlier than the end of serfdom in Russia we're talking about here. And you, know, you, you can't own land. And now the mentality is to buy and preserve property and take care of it and invest in it. And at the same time, if you're going to amass enough resources to do that, that means you have to take incredible care of the things that you do own so your couch is covered in plastic because it lasts for 50 years and you have a kitchen in the basement so that the stove upstairs stays you know um functional immaculate immaculate. and you know i was thinking as i'm making my list in my head like one of the things i always think of is the sort of the tchotchke cabinet with all the bomboniera from weddings and communion but like if you think about it right now we all have to give this thing because of how we, we think of how it makes us look when we give away stuff at a wedding or a communion and stuff. But in the old days, that takeaway also 
had some value because it was, first of all, a nice uh, adornment. It might be usable. It was a fancy object that could be used. So it's, of course it's preserved because if you're not wasting money on throwaway stuff and you're saving it to buy a building or make sure your daughter has the best wedding she can or you're going to buy another property, everything that you're given has intrinsic value and is taken care of and respected completely differently. And I, and I, I often think that's a real hallmark of the Italian-American experience. Like stuff is not to be discarded without consideration you know the idea that in who's got a bag full of plastic bags you know that's that's 100 my my grandmother left maxwell house coffee jars jars and jars of buttons they're absolutely beautiful i would imagine those buttons go back to the 30s yeah this is something i kind of joke about on bella figura which is that growing up you know, we were, quote, sustainable before it was a term, you know, we were green before it was a term. And so much that we're talking about this season on the show circles back to that idea. And it's, again, it's a very old world idea. It's not just Italian American, although it is a huge part of being Italian American. And this idea that you waste nothing, you know, so if you raise an animal, you butcher the animal, you use every part of the animal you know, including the bones, you use every part yeah. of the vegetable, you know, you, you don't throw things away, you don't take things for granted. And the reason that I wanted to pick the theme of home is because of something you alluded to in the beginning, John, which is that with the lockdowns, now we're going into a season where goods are scarce, there's a supply chain backup, we don't know when we're going to get things. We don't know what's going to be on the shelf and what's not. So it's really still ongoing. And I think what so many people realized was that, or maybe what people should be realizing, we've all talked about this off mic, but this idea of the modern world that we've been living in, is not for certain. Yeah. It's not forever. Right. It doesn't have to be, and it could easily be snatched from us. And we possibly, you know, the, the four of us on this call have possibly been raised in a way where when the rug is completely pulled out from under, under us, we may survive and be able to take care of ourselves and our families. But a lot of people won't. And one of my guests, her name is Angela Reed, and she is the mother of six children, a wife. She lives in Wisconsin, also has a homestead. And I asked her why, again, why did you start doing this so much work? It's such a different lifestyle. And she said that she had actually been very prissy. She liked to wear heels. She liked to wear red lipstick. She, was, she did not like animals. She said, I just never would have imagined I'd be living this lifestyle. And she said she had children and it dawned on her that so, because her grandparents had been farmers and down the line, but she said it dawned on her that maybe I don't know, I don't need to know how to butcher a chicken, but maybe my great grandkids will need to know, like really need to know. And she thought it maybe is a good idea to reintroduce this knowledge into the ancestral line. This holiday season, love and laugh with Mediaset Italia. Just in time for family gatherings and festive spirit, Mediaset has brand new shows and familiar favorites, including Laugh Out Loud with hosts Claudio Bizio and Vanessa Incontrada on Italy's most beloved stand-up comedy show, Zelig. 
New editions are airing Thursday, December 26th, 28th, and 30th at 8.35 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. New Drama Wednesdays at 8.35 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Storia di una Familia per bene, where teenagers Maria and Michele fall madly in love, only their families are huge rivals. And who doesn't love pranking celebrities? Italy's brightest showbiz stars get hoodwinked on Scherzi a parte, Tuesdays at 8.35 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Plus, we have all your favorites. Le Ienne, Grande Fratello Vip, Verissimo, Uomini e Donne, and Amici. Give yourself the gift of the best in Italian entertainment and call your local television provider to ask for Mediaset Italia today. It sounds to me like these modern ideas of green living may just be a, an evolution of or a derivative of ancestral ideas that we could call red, white, and green living, right? Just living Boom. in respect, yep. respecting, <laughs> respecting your resources, 100%. your space. Exactly. Your home, your body. Mm-hmm. Your home, yeah. I want to jump in with something with this. When the lockdown was at its worst, right, in the spring of 2020, my mother could not understand how people did not have six months worth of food. Yeah, I'm being mm-hmm. honest. I re- that's true. It's true. Yeah, my, my mother's like, well, like, why you can go? So my mother's like, well, I'm I'm not lying. My mother's like, oh, six eight months fine. Like, amount of paper towels bought on sale, uh, frozen meat. Yep. So what I'm trying to say is, where does that come from? That comes from a agrarian mentality that she got from my grandmother. Of see, people call it food hoarding. They they kept food in huge quantities because you did not know when that famine was going to come. And our famine didn't come with a crop failure. Our famine came with a pandemic. Yeah. But that that intrinsically inbred mentality of put away food for when there's an emergency. You know, people make fun of, oh, there's Italians with, uh, you know, to, I think, I think I had my mother's first cousin one time. It was like the, the late 90s, maybe the early 2000s. She had something like 58 gallons of olive oil in her basement, 200 pounds of macaroni. They actually did a, a, a what was the word I'm looking for? An inventory. Um, and people go, oh my God, that's so funny. People are crazy. But we weren't that crazy when the pandemic hit. Yeah. Because it shows that that survival skill that was on thousands of years, because crop failure was a real problem. I mean, I don't think modern people have any idea of what a famine is. I mean, thank God I don't either. I can only, I can only read about it and understand it from an academic point of view. But the I have to preserve food to be able to weather a lean period it's just so inbred in us. And that's why we, we, that's why we have basements that double as fallout shelters. Yeah. I think, you know, it's funny, this idea of weathering the difficulties of life, right? Because like Dolores says, you know, yeah. Okay. It, we're not facing famine right now as a populace and, and lockdown has changed its meaning here and people are out, but you know, look, this virus has, obviously affected global supply chains. Things are harder to get, more expensive, not available in a lot of cases. And and I think people are reacting to that. And I think it is causing a general sort of look backwards into how we did these things before. You could go to any supermarket and get a, a dragon fruit from Thailand in February. You know what I mean? Like, people are thinking much more mm-hmm. locally and much more focused on, again, weathering the difficulties. And you know, we're, I'm, again, I'm, I'm referring to my list of the stuff that I thought of as hallmarks. I'm staring at Dolores on the other side of the Zoom screen here. And behind you in your home office, I see a 
picture of the Blessed Mother. And I, I think that's another real bellwether for me is the presence of saints and shrines in our home. Because again, when we talk about respecting the home, home is not just the place you lay your head or store your wares and things like that. It's also your shrine, your inner church, right? It's where you're, it's where the, the sanctity and the sacredness of the family unfolds. And so those protections, I think they're a big sign of who we are. And I think even people who are, let's say, post-assimilation, maybe even post-religious, still keep a lot of those bellwethers. Like I, there's a lot of Italian families. I'll, I'll say this, you know, my, my wife's family, they're nowhere near as religious as my family is. They're, they're sacramental Catholics. They go for baptism. They go for communion. It's the event Catholics. But if you go to my wife's family's home, there's still the Blessed Mother. There's still holy water in the cupboard. There's crucifixes. And I think that there's something very, very primal about that. There's a Neapolitan saying. Tengo san Yeah. I have a saint behind the door because, you know, if you go in the city of Naples, so many people, they put the saint holy cards behind the door. Like they tack it onto the door to keep away evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if you go back to, you know, they have those, the bathtub shrines, which I have in front of the house, you know, those, those um, concrete, it looks like a little tiny bathtub or a large bathtub with a saint inside. It's outside. 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 Yeah. outside. Yeah. yeah. We had, we had them when we were pagans. But when we Christianized, we took out the pagan gods and we put in the Christian saints. That's such a part of the DNA of the South of Italy. I mean, we got that from the Greeks. And I think, you know, we did an interview, Roe and I did an interview the other day, I think it's going to air after this episode, with um, Luciano LaMonica, who's the head of the Padre Pio Foundation, or the, the Saint Pio Foundation. And we were talking about Padre Pio, this very beloved modern Italian saint and Italian-American following as well, global following, but you know, there are many people who are not religious. They may not know who he is or his story, but they know his image because it's in their home or it's in their parents' home or their grandparents' home and stuff like that. When you, we, you know, like when we talked about the Malocchia or the horns, right? The saying translates, uh, it's not real, but I believe in it, right? It's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I you, do. People have these things, <laughs> even if they think it's crazy, but they're so, like, you know, St. Christopher. No, because a, cause I got to defend it as, as I want to defend it in the sense that there's going to be people hearing that that are going to write it off and say, yeah, my instincts are right. That's superstition. But it's not because if you go back to what Thomas Aquinas says, the human heart is always seeking religion. It's always seeking connection with the divine. And these small, if you want to call them amulets, they're tactile, tactile reminders of the divine. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, I want to defend something else because there's going to be people, non-Catholics, Protestants, poorly catechized Catholics will say, well, oh, it just proves that, you know, the Italian Catholic saint tradition is just continued paganism. It's not continued paganism. Its roots are in paganism because the roots of all Southern Italian society were in paganism, but they were Christianized. So the Christianized peoples of the South of Italy made a deliberate um, decision to throw out the pagan gods, which they came to recognize as false gods. And to replace them with the, their local martyrs, the local martyrs who were their saints, who were their heroes. So it wasn't like, okay, you know, I have this need for, I mean, maybe there's always the human need to continue with what's familiar, but it wasn't the sense of, okay, well, you know, I'm a pagan, so I got to have some statue in there. There was a real transformative moment of the Christianization that's really a, a, a society of mercy and gentleness and love, the Christianization of the South of Italy. 
And so they threw away the, the false pagan gods, which were gods of anger and vengeance and, and conspiracy and, you know, of, of many evils. And they replaced them with the God of Christianity. And, the man, and Christianity does not have a – the God of Christianity doesn't have a face in the sense of a human face. But through the saints, the virtues of that God were personified. And that's how they replaced these pagan temples, which were temples of angry idols to um, the love and the sacrifice of the martyrs. So it's not a discontinuity. It's an evolution. Very well said. Very well said. And, and I think that also ties us, you know, we, Dolores has talked a lot about ancestral themes and universal themes and tying us to who came before us, ties us to something greater than ourselves and ties us to, you know, a root, our branch to a root that is, emotionally and, and psychologically and spiritually sustaining yeah. right because yeah. you, you cut you cut a branch off a tree it withers but the tree survives and grows new branches so it, it's not the branch that thrives as the individual it's the tree that thrives and can grow new branches and you know i i think of the saint statues and the religious icons and I, items that my family maintains here after you know many generations and moving to many places you know we have saints from my great grandparents we have a beautiful little statue of the child of prague under a glass case that my great grandmother on my mom's side brought from sicily and mm. in 1930 i think i want to say 1933 she folded up a silver certificate which is an, an old form of currency for those who prior to the the end of the gold and silver standards you know the silver certificate basically said it's ten dollars worth of silver you can redeem this for actually ten dollars worth of silver it was a form of currency it looks a little different than a regular ten dollar bill she folded it up and put it under the saint and for a poor sicilian family in 1933 uh, heart of the depression to put ten dollars it's still there uh, my grandfather gave me that statue for my wife and i on our wedding day and that 1933 silver certificate of $10 is still there. Mm-hmm. And to be able to touch that and have tactile reminder of the commitment and sacrifice. And you have to believe, in my mind, some of the amazing good fortune that has befallen all of our families has to do with that commitment of our ancestors, right? Like I, I'd never move that little $10 silver certificate from under there because in some way to me, it's a sacrifice for it wasn't for her it was money that she clearly could have used to feed her family and nourish her family it was for the future it was for me and right. and my kids and the next generations on her behalf as i stare at a picture of her here on my screen as it comes up and mm. i just think that that's that to me you know yes a statue is nothing more than a, than maybe plaster and paint but the the prayers that generations of family have have focused and the faithfulness they have focused at those statues there's something to be said for the energy that comes with them. I really believe that. Well, you're touching on basically the whole reason why I started Bella Figura, because through years of doing the Italian American podcast, especially when it was Anthony and I, you know, we we first started it, and then the first couple of years, I realized that whenever I talked about these things, I got a lot of letters from people. I got a lot of comments because I, I was hitting a nerve. These altars, these statues, these images, these things that we kind of call blood memory, we feel like they're in us, even though we don't maybe know why. These ancestral connections, 
this is very intriguing to a lot of people, but I found especially the Italian American podcast audience. And I wanted to start a show that allowed me to explore these ideas in more depth and to branch out and explore them with people who were, you know, not Italian. And the home, for instance, this, this uh, season's theme of home is the place where we have all of these traditions, all of these connections to our ancestors, all of these sacred images, but also the sacred prayers, right, that we say for our descendants and for the living and for the dead. And uh, Mallory Vaudois, who are, this audience knows well, she is Italian-American. She wrote the book, Honoring Your Ancestors. She was my, uh, one of my first guests in season one for Bella Figura. And she talks about how you have to keep your home clean for your ancestors, because that, that is where you invite them in. And that is where they are in so many ways. And so you keep your home clean if you want a good relationship with the people who came before you. And it's also another way of saying you take care of your home because the people who came before you gave so much so that you could have it. Yeah. So, so that's Bella Figura also respecting that tradition, right? Respecting that sacrifice and not letting it just be a wreck and something that you don't pay attention to because you're always going out to dinner or you're always running out somewhere. No, this is, this is something sacred that people who came before you uh, gave up a lot and sacrificed a lot so that you could have. And when you take care of it, you're showing them that respect. Same thing with your body, yeah. your physical home. Well, that, that really reminds me of, you know, when my, when my nonna goes to someone's house, you know, she looks at things that I'm sure no one else is looking at unless they're also uh, like an almost 90-year-old nonna. Like, oh, the curtains they had were so well, like, you know, well-designed. And uh, look at that madletta. Oh, the tablecloth is very pristine. You know, she looks in all like the little corners of the corners to make sure they're clean and stuff. Nobody's noticing these things in, in our generation anymore. It's like something's clean or something's dirty. Yeah. You know, yeah. There, there's these levels that like, I mean, I always, when I think about this, like her attention to detail and to cleanliness, I mean, when she was in her heyday, she's slowed down a little bit now, but I think about Malcolm Gladwell and how he wrote that book Outliers and he said that, you know, 10,000 hours of practice makes you an expert in something. And when I just think about all the thousands of hours of cleaning she's probably done throughout her life and that's why she's so, like, I will never get the stove top as clean as my Nona can. Yeah. With just no matter what freaking product I buy, you know, it, it, Nona is just on it with like a sponge and some Ajax, like the one that like if you inhale, it's gonna kill you. But like <laughs> she, she can get the stove cleaner than anyone I've ever seen. Like I will never be this good. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta tell you a story about my grandmother. I might have said it here before, but I think it, it's worthy of multiple uh, repetitions. 
I went to Catholic school my entire life. And um, of course we had to wear uh, dress shoes. So I'm going, I'm about a, a junior in high school. And every morning, my grandmother, when she would wake up, would polish my shoes. Every solitary morning, she'd go over them. So I'm like 16. I'm like, Grandma, you don't have to, like, like you don't have to do that. Like, I felt bad. Like, you know, that's, it's overkill. You know, I appreciate it, but you don't have to do that. And she said to me, remember this. When you walk out of that door, you don't represent you. You represent me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that was, that was a very clear message. That's what it's all about. Right. And I think that people don't understand people who come from outside of our tribe think, well, it's a kind of like um, a, a beaten down woman just doing servile work. They took tremendous pride. I mean, Ro, I know your grandmother takes tremendous pride in the way she'll clean that stove for hours because she's proud yeah. of the fact that it's immaculate. The outside world today, the lettered world, the people with multiple degrees and 18,000 letters at the end of their name can find that ridiculous and that's their own judgment. But to those people, that's where their pride comes in. Yeah. That's the 5,000 letters at the end of their name. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But it's also that when she meets someone and she goes to their house, she looks at their stove first to see if they're, you know, if they're. It's like, yeah, but that's her LinkedIn. Yeah. That's her. Let me see where their MBA is from. So (laughs) So true. that's, That's so true. That is the LinkedIn. Wow. That's well said. That's you see their CV on their stovetop. What was the worst word? My grandma could call them a sitsus. Filthy. How would you translate that, Dolores? Filthy, right? Yeah, filthy, dirty. Sitsus. Unkempt. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. That was like the lowest rung. Because if you if you don't have respect for the stuff that you own, the place that you live, your body, your your figura, you, you don't have respect for yourself and you're not going to have respect for other people. That's what it's all about. It respect value. Um, Dolores, before we go, for those of the audience who have not already gone over and have listened in the past to Bella Figura, how are they going to find you? I know they know you're social out there, but uh, what's the website and uh, where can they find the show? So they can learn more at bellafigurapodcast.com. So it's B E L L A F I G U R A podcast.com and you can find me on Instagram where I'm basically talking about all of this stuff all of the time. (laughs) I'm at uh, Dolores underscore Alfieri underscore Taranto. And I want to thank the audience because it was really this audience that birthed this second show. And I do have a lot of pride in the fact that it still kind of lives under the umbrella of the Italian American podcast. It's the same energy, the same vibe, just in a different direction. And I really invite all of you to come over and explore more of this side of yourselves, your heritage, you know, that feeling that you probably have inside you that you can't put your finger on. That is what we're exploring in this show with every guest and in every conversation. I think it's really wonderful to have an opportunity because I know, I know for all of us, you know, the, the, doing the Italian American podcast and being professional Italian Americans, sometimes it can be mistaken for being far more inward looking than it is, right? Yes, we're examining ourselves, and, but it's not happening in a vacuum. We do it in relation to the universal, to these universal themes and the opportunity mm-hmm. to speak to people who are not Italian American actually in many ways just 
validates and confirms a lot of that stuff to see who we are in the context of the universal. So I think it's uh, it does got to be a wonderfully fulfilling thing. I hope you invite the rest of us on as guests at some point. That you know, interview us. I would love that. I yeah, have one, no. One, I, one ha- time, I have though, one of the time. I, ha- I have no. I have no interest <laughs> on going on your podcast. I love until, you too, Pat. <laughs> until, <laughs> I, until until I get until I get my duck. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I, I'm, that's I'm fair. on a. I'm on a <laughs> I'm on a duck strike. Shop it up. Yeah, I want my mushrooms, Dolores. Uh, uh, want, uh, oh I my God, ransom. I, ra- that's mail. right. You, you gotta, we're, we're ransoming ourselves. <laughs> I, oh, I, I'll buy the duck. I'll drop it off. I just want, <laughs> A, I want to taste the duck, and B, I want the recipe 90% accurate. <laughs> you can do the Italian thing accurate. and throw a few things off, and I can reconstruct it, but. Was it? What is he saying? Right, Godfather, the rent stays like before. <laughs> <laughs> I want, I want my duck. I want my duck. Well, I'm we're gonna to work on this one. This is important. Otherwise, you're never gonna get these guys on your show. Well, I do hope everybody listening goes over and listens. Obviously, we all love Dolores, and you know, can't hurt to listen to more Dolores during your week. So, this has been a great excuse for us to get together. I love being as many of us as we can. Of course, Anthony. Hopefully we'll get another one in a couple of weeks where everybody gets on and Anthony uh, gets to make it on. It's obviously the season for home and family and just sharing time with you guys is sharing time with family. So and, uh, can I just say it? And if you follow Dolores on Instagram, make sure that you comment. Don't forget the duck. <laughs> it's going to be a hashtag. <laughs> hashtag. Don't forget the duck. That's oh great. I'm getting a t-shirt made for Dolores. Don't forget Pat. the duck. That's oh. funny. Oh my gosh. Uh, Don't forget the duck, folks. Don't hashtag all of Dolores' photos. Bomb her. Don't forget the duck. Don't forget the duck. Don't forget the duck. <laughs> That's so funny. We gotta make a t-shirt for Passaware that says where's the duck? That's fantastic. I'm gonna do that. I'm thinking I'm thinking of Duck Hunt. Remember the old video game? I'm gonna use the graphics from that, but it's gonna be on a plate. I got this all in my head already. Don't forget the duck. That's perfect. We're sick people. We're we sick, are sick people. people. We really are. Yeah. There's something wrong with us. So much for figura and presenting normalcy to the world. This platform has blown that completely to smithereens. But I will say if it's important to you to go out, if you think about making sure your house is health and wellness certified or your home is green and you get lead certified. No. Go out and get red, white, and green certification. Make sure your house is Italian-American. We have given you the tokens to do that, and we're always open for discussion. If you have any ideas that we missed, we love to hear from you because you are as much a contributor to this show as we are, and we really want to be part of a, a greater, more active, and engaged community. So from all of us at the Italian-American Podcast, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Da-da. 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 Da-da.